Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We are back in the House of Mystery and we are at the interview part of the show. Uh, so joining us today we have uh, an author and this this book's been very interesting and it really caught my eye because uh, my um, main home is up in uh, the Okanagan in BC Canada and we get a lot of fires so um, the book is called Malibu Burning it's the real story behind LA's most devastating wildfire and the uh, guest is the author Robert Kerbeck thank you for taking the time today well thanks for having me gentlemen Robert so this is quite the book I've been listening to it and um, uh, you know um, First of all, um, it's, it's all obviously very personal to you. Um, w- w- did you write before this, or was this something that came out of this fire? Sure. Well, um, you know, way back when I was a young man, I was an English major in college, um, and as much as I enjoyed writing, I wanted to meet women uh, more, and so I went into the theater, and, uh, and I became a professional actor for many years, and so I got away from the writing but that was really kind of the art form that I started with. And um, some years ago, you know, I'm, I'm you know, married now and settled down. Um, and uh, two years back, I started writing again and um, started writing short stories and getting a lot of short stories published and um, started a writer's group in Malibu called the Malibu Writer's Circle, where we have some pretty well-known writers that are members. And um, we had this, you know, horrific wildfire that, you know, roared through Los Angeles County, the worst wildfire in, in uh, Los Angeles recorded history. Um, and it started on a Thursday. 
And um, the following Monday, the New York Times, um, there was an email from the New York Times in my inbox, and they said, hey, you know, uh, we know you run this writer's group, the Malibu Writer's Circle. Do you happen to have any good fire stories? <laughs> and, of course, they did know that my wife's son and I fought the fire, uh, the worst of the fire, to save our home. And so I told the editor that story, and he said, oh, my gosh, please write that for us. And so I started to write this essay for the New York Times, and then my wife's best friend worked at the Los Angeles Times, and she found out about it, and she was very unhappy that I was writing a story for the New York Times when I lived in the L.A. area, and she felt like the story should be for the L.A. Times. And so it was probably the only time in my writing career that the two largest papers in the country were fighting for my work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, now, now, so w- with the fires, um, it's an important work. What is it that you wanted people to get out of the book? Like when someone picks up your book and reads it and takes this home, um, so what do you want them to walk away with? Sure. I, I love that question. You know, I, the first thing that was the most important thing to me is, you know, everybody here is Malibu, and they think that everybody is rich and famous. And I'm here to tell you that is not the truth. <laughs> um, and there's almost there's almost a dividing line that runs through Malibu, which is the Pacific Coast Highway. And, and I'm sure many of your listeners have driven up or down the Pacific Coast Highway and maybe even gone through Malibu. Um, and um, on the ocean side of the Pacific Coast Highway, yes, you've got some very wealthy people and some very, very famous people. But on the land side of the Pacific Coast Highway, there are actually a lot of blue-collar people, and people are surprised to find out that on the land side of the Pacific Coast Highway there are uh, firefighters and uh, sheriffs and teachers and broke surfers. And so that was the first thing that was really important uh, for me is to dispel this notion that everybody is rich and famous in Malibu because I think sometimes, um, and not, not a lot of people, but some people when they heard about this fire and how terrible it was in Malibu and how we lost almost 2,000 homes and structures and people died, you know, there was some, occasionally you hear this, well, they're all rich people, they can rebuild, it's not a problem for them. And of course, the vast majority of people that lost homes were on the land side of the highway, and they were not the super wealthy people. Indeed, many of the people were older and underinsured, and many of them are having a really hard time being able to rebuild. So that was kind of the first thing that was important to me, so that, so readers coming to this book you know, um, understood the loss that the that the people here um, took. Yeah, it's 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 pretty devastating when you go through that, and I don't think people realize um, how frightening it really is when you're in the middle of something like that and the fire is burning all around you. Um, it, it maybe describe some of the some of the feelings you had and what what you went through with your home during the fire. Sure. You know, uh, and this was my first um, major wildfire. We'd had a small brush fire on the hill above us a year earlier, but it was really no big deal. But this was, of course, you know, massive. And I think there were so many things about it that were frightening and amazing. But the the I guess the first thing that really stuck with me was the speed at which the fire moves. And it doesn't just move, you know, like, you know, you know, it would be as if, let's say, you were running down a hill and you would jump and you would fly 50 feet in the air and land 100 feet further down, you know. And then you would jump again and you would go 30 feet in the air and you would land 200 feet down. I mean, it was as if the fire was being thrown at us. And um, 
that was the thing that was incredible. And then all of a sudden, you know, you'd be standing there and, 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 a, and a fire would pop up out of nowhere. And it's because these fires um, in Southern California um, are always, almost always, accompanied by these Santa Ana winds. Um, it's a weather pattern where these very hot and dry winds blow from the desert to the ocean, and they pick up speed in the arroyos and canyons of Southern California so that eventually they reach hurricane force. And as you can imagine, when you get, when you get something that catches on fire and you've got 70-mile-an-hour winds blowing that, uh, you know, that, that brush or whatever it is that's caught on fire, that fire spreads really, really rapidly. And that was the thing that was most striking about the Woolsey fire. So what do you, what do you think's going on? Um, th- this seems to be a more common thing um, I, because I don't remember these kinds of fires happening as regularly when I was a kid um, as they do now. And I mean, f- for people that don't know, that's back in the 60s and uh, early 70s when I was a kid, so that was a long time ago. Um, but it just seems to be so much more common now, almost every year it seems like. And... Um, they seem to be getting worse. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. They are getting worse. Um, you know, when I did the research for the book, of course, I was researching, you know, fires, you know, you know, back as far as they were recorded in California. And four of the worst ten recorded fires have happened in the last two, two and a half years. So, you know, clearly it, it, the fires are getting worse. And, of course, at the same time that we had this devastating fire in Malibu, the Woolsey Fire, at the exact same time we had the Camp Fire, which was decimating the town of Paradise um, and killing nearly 100 people. So these two fires, one in Northern California, one in Southern California, were happening at the exact same time. So I think that is pretty strong evidence that these fires um, are getting worse. Um, and I think there are a number of reasons, you know, obviously, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with is we're getting a hotter and drier planet. Um, and obviously the, the drier the brush, um, the uh, easier it is for it to catch fire. And then, of course, the easier it is for that fire to become more extreme. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these extreme fires. We just saw one in Australia that was just unprecedented. Um, and... Um, and we're also seeing, I think, a lot of fires related to um, uh, the utility companies um, and equipment failure. Um, you know, we've got these grids, which are older, you know, um, telephone wires and telephone poles. Um, in Northern California, um, there was a failure there that started the campfire, and the same exact thing happened here in Southern California. Uh, Southern California Edison, which is the utility provider for Southern California, their equipment failed, which started the Woolsey fire. So we've got these grids which are older and aging and are not being maintained properly. And, of course, when you have a power line go down uh, during a Santa Ana wind event, you know, that line snaps and then it hits a piece of brush and catches it, this dry brush catches on fire, and now you have two horrific wildfires. Um, so I think it's a combination of factors, um, one of which is sort of um, um, somewhat rectifiable, which is, you know, we can get the, the utility providers to do a better job of maintaining their equipment. And the other one is a bigger picture, which is what do we do as citizens of the planet Earth to, um, you know, reduce the, um, you know, the global warming issue? Uh, so... Um, it, it... 
with with the whole global warming thing in the, in the U.S., it tends to be very political. Um, do you see any way to get through to people that don't believe in that that I that the world is getting warmer? Or is there, like how? Because you have to get people on board in order to get this to go ahead. Yeah, and that's a great question. You know, the the U.S. is very politicized um, and very kind of divided. Um, and um, I'm 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 shocked by it sometimes because you know some of the things that people are fighting about, you know, don't seem to be that big a deal. You know, um, you know, we've uh, with a, a brief a brief segue over to our our COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, there's a big question about you know masks and some people don't want to wear the mask and other people do want to wear the mask and you know some people feel you should have to wear the mask sometimes it's required to wear the mask but then other people feel it's impinging on their freedom to wear the mask and and sometimes that just surprises me because at the end of the day you know we're just asking you to care for your fellow citizens um and be slightly inconvenienced by wearing a mask for a certain amount of time in certain places um it doesn't seem like it should be that big a deal but for some people, it really has become a big deal, and that that surprises me. Um, and in terms of the climate issue, you know, it, it's similar. And I will say, um, you know, when we see events like the Woolsey Fire here in Malibu, I do think a lot of people go, "Wow, you know, uh, that was a pretty crazy fire." You know, why the heck was that fire so insane? You know, I've lived in Southern California for 40 years, 50 years. Um, why was this fire so much worse? You know, why why was there a why w- did we have the Thomas fire in Ventura in Santa Barbara counties the year before, and that was a horrific fire? You know, so I I do think there is a certain logic that people are starting to see. Unfortunately, it involves you know people dying and involves people losing their homes for people to kind of begin to get the memo, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's pretty strange. So, what what do you think? we can do to make things better um each one of us well uh big picture or small picture <laughs> well probably both i mean big picture obviously we've got to get uh you know a, a government that is looking to solve this problem or looking at, at really doing something about about our whole uh climate and our whole the way we treat the environment i mean that's just basic common sense but but us uh, other than that for us in a daily small picture way well you know uh, you know i the, the thing i talk a lot about in the book is you know uh you know a lot of the locals called this fire the yo-yo fire for you're on your own um you know there was really very little help um from firefighters um and indeed, there were times where the firefighters refused to fight the fire, despite homeowners begging for help. Um, and so one of the things, you know, I've, I've talked about, um, you know, I did over 200 interviews for the book, and, and, and now I'm asked to speak to a lot of organizations, rotary clubs, you know, realtors associations, homeowners associations, um, children, about, you know, well, what do we do as a community so that we don't have these terrible fires and our homes don't burn down? And, and I really talked you know the simplest thing and the easiest thing is is you have to get to know your neighbors um because when you know, there's a disaster when a disaster strikes whether it's a fire or a tornado or a dam breaking or an earthquake um you know really the only ones you can count on are your 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 own family and your neighbors 
and you know one of the you know I hate to use the expression silver linings uh, when there this, these fires are so terrible, but you know one of the positive things that's come out of it is you know I've gotten to know so many of my neighbors I didn't know before. We've done training sessions together so that we're prepared for fires in the future. We've all done a much better job of removing flammable landscaping and installing ember-resistant vents in our home. Um, moving wood piles away from home, you know, not using wood mulch near your home, all these little things, you know, wh- because, you know, at the end of the day, wood mulch burns and and, um, and firewood ne- too close to your house can catch on fire and burn your house down. One ember can slip inside a vent that doesn't have an ember-resistant vent on it. And little things like that burn your home down, you know. Um, I'd say 50% of the homes that were lost in the Woolsey Fire it wasn't from some tremendous wall of flame. It was one ember, you know, and it landed on your backyard cushions on your deck, and those cushions caught on fire. Then they set the deck on fire. Then the deck burned and got so hot it burned the house down, right? Or one ember slipped inside the attic and landed on something that was flammable, and then the next thing you know, the house burned down. And so a lot of the homes that were lost and homes that are lost in these fires, they are preventable. Those are preventable losses if people, you know, I always say, give your home a fighting chance. And here are the things you can do that even in the worst wildfire, you're giving your home a fighting chance. And if you give your home a fighting chance and your home doesn't burn, it means it's much more, much less likely that your neighbor's house is going to burn, which means it's much less likely that your whole neighborhood is going to burn. And when you think about the environmental cost of all of that loss, first of, you, first of all, you have all of these things now going into the atmosphere, right? You know, you've got the paint in your garage is being burned. You know, your refrigerator is melting. Your car is melting because these fires are 2,000 degrees. And so all of that is now into the environment. It's into the ground. It's into the air. People are breathing it in. It's a terrible environmental issue, these fires. So if we can do things to prevent that, just that alone is doing a lot to, to, to help the environment. Yeah, it's really um, – How and another thing, too, is the way people behave. Um, like in the Okanagan area when I'm there, there's a lot of campsites, so people will leave fires burning or they, they throw a cigarette you know, or something like that, and there's quite a few problems that way. Um, what's the issue that, that started your fire? Uh, the Woolsey fire was utility. Uh, the Southern California Edison's equipment failed, um, which, of course, is terrible, but then it failed during a Santa Ana event, which is, even worse, and then of course the the location of the equipment failure was on the site of this secret nuclear meltdown um, at this Santa Susana Field Laboratory, where um, for years um, um, uh, they did rocket tests there, and then later they experimented with nuclear power in the 50s, and they had a number of partial meltdowns and one nearly complete meltdown, and so all of the toxins from those um, uh, nuclear meltdowns were in the soil. They had, the site had never been cleaned up. It's well known how contaminated the site is. And um, it was basically a worst-case scenario. Like, okay, we're going to have the worst wildfire in L.A. history, and it's going to start on the site of a secret nuclear meltdown. Wow. Uh. Yeah. And, and to this day, a lot of people in Los Angeles still don't know that. It's really amazing. You know, I, 
um, Los Angeles Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine, they excerpted a chapter from the book, and the editor, managing editor, who runs Los Angeles Magazine, the biggest magazine in Los Angeles, one of the biggest magazines in the country, he didn't know about the fire starting on the site of this secret nuclear meltdown. Yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy, some of the things uh, that go on that, that we don't know about, and uh, it's just, I don't know. Um, so, now, in your book itself, like you talk about the, the, you know, how the fire hits and all that stuff, and you talk about hosing down your um, house and all that, and all of a sudden how it just jumps and all that stuff. Um, that was pretty, um, it's pretty shocking. I don't think people realize that. Um, it, it kind of maybe give give the listeners a little rundown of what you experience when you're in the in that situation. Um, <laughs> well, it, it, I'll tell you, time moves fast. Uh, time moves fast, faster than the fire moved. I mean, it is just a whirlwind. Um, fortunately, my wife is one of those kind of calm, cool, and collected uh, people that the world needs more of. Um, her father uh, was was actually a rocket science uh, scientist, um, and so she kind of had that scientific mind and really was uh, instrumental in helping us um, because we do live in not only a wildfire uh, prone area. Some people call Malibu the wildfire capital of North America. Um, now you can debate that, but we certainly get a lot of wildfires here. And when we bought our house, we have a, a, um, a Victorian home. Um, so as you can imagine, a Victorian home is all wood. You know, and there are wood decks and balconies, and there's wood everywhere. And so if any home should have burned down, it should have been ours. 17 of 19 on our street burned to the ground. Um, but the reason that our home didn't burn was, one, we had really great brush clearance. Um, and um, and then I, I, would, I think I'd be remiss if I said we didn't have a little luck. Um, and maybe we'll call that the second reason. But the third reason, and I think the big thing, was that we were prepared we had um, equipment to fight the fire. Um, we had a fire pump. We had fire hoses, and we had a chemical called Foscheck, which is the same chemical that the fire department uses. And so, as the fire was approaching, we sprayed our entire house with this foam retardant. We sprayed all of our vegetation. Um, you know, we sprayed everything. Um, and we strongly believe that that um, Foscheck um, prevented our home from burning and saved our house. And a lot of homeowners, you know, when I speak to homeowners events, you know, because, of course, the fire department, they want everybody to evacuate right away, understandably. They don't want people staying behind and then maybe getting into trouble, and now the fire department has to try to rescue them, and now, you know, more lives are being put at risk. So they always say, you know, as soon as you get the word about a fire, evacuate. And then there are other people, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Malibu, again, people don't realize it, but there's a lot of people here in Malibu that are kind of still frontier types. You know, um, because Malibu not that long ago was the frontier, you know, less than 100 years ago. And um, there are a lot of people that are descendants of those people, and they are never leaving. They're staying to fight every fire. And so you've got those two extremes, um, people that evacuate right away, people that are staying no matter what. And I, I like to tell homeowners that there's a third option, and the third option is is when you hear news of a fire potentially approaching, you prep your house. Now, some of some of the prep you have to have done in advance. You know, you're going to need to have already had your check and your fire pump and tested it every year. But some of the other things you can do um, at the last minute um, can be very valuable to saving your house. So, you know, we talked about 
how a lot of times it's outdoor furniture that catches on fire, and ember lands catches your outdoor furniture, and then your house burns down. So all of that outdoor furniture needs to be moved away from the house or moved inside the house. Um, you know, anything that could burn has got to get moved away from the house. Your outside barbecue in the propane tank, you got to either put it in the house or move it far away from the house. And these are things that you can do at the last minute that, again, can give your house a fighting chance to survive. Wow. It's just, it's just, um, I don't think it, so, so how much, do you expect this to keep going on now? Do you expect more, more wildfires in your area? That's that's the you know the the question that everybody would like to have the answer to. Um, this past year, we had so many wildfires, um, so many. It was like every day there was another fire. Some days there were two fires, and we uh, got really lucky. I think the fire department, you know, like I, I said earlier, the fire department. Um, there were a lot of failures during the 2018 Woolsey fire, and and I think a lot of. Um, uh, firefighters um, and citizens were quite disappointed um, uh, with the fire department in 2018, but I think they learned some lessons from that, and one of the lessons they learned was the importance of getting aerial assets on fires right away, because once these fires get a chance to spread out with these winds, they're almost unstoppable, um, and I think a lot of people would say they are unstoppable. Um, and so it's really important that they get these aerial assets um, dropping water or this FOS check on these fires right away. And in 2019, they were very successful with that, and they um, they prevented um, a number of fires, um, none of which were small fires, but they prevented them from becoming. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Major fires. Um, and um, one brief anecdote, I was doing a radio interview back in November, um, so, and this was a live uh, radio show, so I'm on live radio, and my phone is blowing up, and I see it's my mother calling, and I have an elderly mom, and so, and you know, she called once, she called twice, and all of a sudden I said, you know, boy, I better answer this, and sure enough, she was being evacuated from the, it was called the Easy Fire, which was, a, which was about to burn down the Reagan National Library in Simi Valley. Mm. So here I am on a radio show, live radio show, about my book about the Woolsey Fire, and my mother's calling me being evacuated from this easy fire, right? So it just shows you how prevalent these fires are right now. Um, now, one thing that uh, California and Governor Newsom uh, has um, uh, implemented is these power shutoff protocols. And what they are designed to do is that when um, strong winds are anticipated, whether it's Southern California, Central California, or Northern California, when these winds, strong winds, are um, uh, predicted, um, the power is shut off. They literally shut off the power so that, you know, if, if the wind causes this equipment, the you know utility equipment to fail, or the equipment was going to fail anyway, um, but now you know the power line gets snapped in the wind and it starts a fire, so they've they've shut off the power. Now that's you know a pretty good idea in terms of stopping fires. Um, but now you've got this other issue is <laughs> when the power is shut off, uh, not only do you not have power in your home, if you're somebody that needs power to um, maybe um, for some medical reason uh, to power your equipment, uh, now you're in trouble that way. Um, also, the traffic lights, you know, they kind of, I don't, I don't know why they didn't anticipate it, but, you know, now traffic lights were out. And I remember driving on the Pacific Coast Highway during one of these power shutoffs and, you know, people were flying through, uh, you know, you know, because the traffic lights are out, people are flying through them, and other people are flying in different directions, and you could easily see how, you know, people, there could be some horrific accident. So here you shut off power to potentially stop your equipment from failing and starting a wildfire, and now people are killed in a car accident because of that. So um, I think Governor Newsom has recognized that that's a pretty inelegant solution, um, and it's a temporary solution at best, and I think the real uh, uh, number one most pressing issue is for the utility providers to get their equipment so that it is um, secure and safe and not failing and starting uh, and being the cause of these wildfires. 
And I think um, technology is going to play a really big part of that because one of the things now they're talking about is microgrids, where rather than them having to shut down an entire giant grid, um, maybe they can only shut down part of these grids, and maybe if there's an equipment failure on one part of the grid, it's not going to affect another part of the grid, uh, and that might be a way that you know they're not having to shut off power for you know for you know. 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, 2 million, 5 million, you know, these huge numbers of folks. Hmm. Well, uh, but the president said just rake the forest. (laughs) Yes, yes, he did, he did. And, you know, and and as you know, uh, in Vancouver and, you know, British Columbia, I'm assuming you do call it the forest, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Here in in Southern California, we don't call it the forest. We call it brush. Right, um, because as you know, the the um, you know plant life is very different here from uh, even Northern California, which is more forest-like. Um, and um, yeah, so you you know we, in Southern California, you're not going to get very far trying to rake the brush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just um, it's crazy. Um, well, and what was also crazy about that quote from from President Trump is. And, and I really try to be fair to everybody in my book because I feel like, you know, you know, there were a lot of people that were at fault. And one of the things, the land that burned in the Woolsey Fire, 25% of it was federal land. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my father always taught me, you know, you know keep your side of the street clean first before you start talking to your neighbor about cleaning up their side. So 25% of the, the acreage that burned in the Woolsey Fire was federal land which had not been raked or cleared of brush. Um, and I think, you know, if the, I, I think if the president wants to get the federal lands cleared of brush, that's a great idea, you know, and then the state needs to do the same um, because, you know, it's the proliferation of overgrown brush that gets drier and drier in this hotter and hotter um, climate, um, and they've done studies that show that the longer I mean, obviously, the larger brush gets, right? There's just more fuel. But also, the longer it grows without burning, um, when it does burn, uh, there's much greater heat generated. Um, and so that's another reason why, you know, clearing brush on a regular basis is important so that the brush is theoretically um, somewhat, uh, you know, not as uh, the, the, the fire is not going to be as intense from that brush. Um, but you know it's it's a challenge because you know there are, there you know there are a lot of environmentalists um, um, and I consider myself an environmentalist but you know there are different levels of environmentalists some are more moderate some are more extreme um, and I think a little bit more on the extreme side there are some people that don't want any of that brush removed and and their theory is is that's the natural environment and that should stay the way it is and some of those same individuals don't believe anybody should be living in these wildfire zones. Uh, and I've heard that not often, but occasionally. And 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 I and I understand that. But unfortunately, you know, those homes have been built. You know, it's kind of like what's the expression? The cat's already out of the bag. You're not going to remove thousands and thousands of homes from from these areas. Um, and also, as a country, you know, and I'm talking about the United States now, but I'm sure it's, it's the same in Canada too. I'm sure if you, you know, if we could all draw up a map of places where ah, it's probably not a good idea for people to live here because it's, you know, there's a pretty good amount of danger, you know, there'd be plenty of places we'd be moving people away from, right? We've got hurricanes in Florida, we've got tornadoes in Tornado Alley, we've got 
um, you know, um, uh, New Orleans where, you know, we can have um, the levees break and, and fail. You know, there are a lot of places that theoretically, you know, you could make an argument that human beings shouldn't be living, and one of those is, is uh, you know, uh, the coastal communities of California. But people are there, and so we have to deal with that reality. And um, I think having some sort of um, brush clearance um, is um, is necessary. So yeah. what do you think communities can do to better educate their residents as far as uh, what they can do to help prevent their home from burning down in a wildfire? I think that's the number one thing. You know, I think that's the number one thing because at the end of the day, you know, I can try to write letters to Governor Newsom, and he did write me back, and, and uh, he bought my book and read my book and sent me a nice note, which is wonderful. Um, and there have been a lot of other politicians that have read it too, which is great, and I, and I think that that's going to be helpful um, because um, there's another book out right now um, called Paradise on Fire about the campfire, but it, and I think it's a very good book, and I think it's a very important book, but it wasn't written by people that lived through the fire, and I, I, I hope that's something that gives my book a little um, something um, – makes it a little bit unique because you're seeing somebody that went through it and then went and interviewed all these people um, and um, people that lost everything were willing to open up to me because they knew I lived here and, and that I had been through and fought the same fire as they had, so they trusted me. Um, and I think that's the, the number one thing is that homeowners, like I said, you, you get to know your neighbors, you you talk about equipment that your your neighbors have that you have. You know, you get together, you test the equipment together. You know, I've had a number of neighbors come out, come over to my home. I lay out all my equipment on my ping pong table, and we look at it. We, they take pictures of it. They email me questions: Should I order this? Should I get that? Um, and I wish more neighbors were doing it. I mean, I, it's not a ton of neighbors, but you know, uh, you know, it only takes a few neighbors to stay and save their home. And prevent a lot of homes from burning down because, as I said, you know, if my home catches and you're next door to me, highly likely your home is going to catch. And then we get this domino effect of homes burning. So if I could stop my home from burning and you could stop your home from burning, we might save an entire neighborhood. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the book is this actor, Kevin Dillon. Um, you probably know Kevin. He was the star of this uh, very funny HBO show called Entourage. And... Um, Kevin's brother, Matt Dillon, is also quite a well-known actor, and Kevin stayed behind in his neighborhood, and he and just two other neighbors, they basically drew a line in the sand of their houses on their street, and all these homes around them burned, but where they kind of stood their ground and fought the fire, not one house below them burned. They stopped the fire. Um, and... Um, that's an example when homeowners are prepared. You know, they had fire pumps, they had fire equipment, um, that they were able to really um, do some great work, not only saving their homes, but saving their neighbors' homes as well. I was going to say, so what What about the um, COVID-19 now and all these things uh, where people are isolated and, and you can't get across the border and all that? Because quite often when these fires happen, too, we're stuck with, you know, with our own firefighters, but we have others from other countries like the U.S. and quite a few of the Canadian firefighters go down for, like, the Malibu fire and stuff. Is this going to make this really difficult uh, to get through these sort of events again? Well, I think so, and 
And even before COVID-19, you know, one of the things that happened in the Woolsey fire, the Malibu fire, of course, was that at the same time we had this horrific fire up in paradise. So we had these two horrific fires at the exact same time. So as you can imagine, resources were spread incredibly thin. Then on top of that, you had, because these these fires were so huge, they were spreading so rapidly, the winds were so strong, you had a lot of fire departments up and down the coast afraid to send all of their engines out in case the fire got to where they were, right? And so one of the things, you know, they call it this mutual aid, and, and when fire departments put out this mutual aid call, you know, all of the other fire departments, you know, kind of you know, put down what they're doing, and they go to Malibu or they go to Paradise, and they assist. And, and of course, in many cases, they did do that. But there were also a lot more resources that stayed behind because fire departments were concerned about uh, what happens if that fire comes here. And so the resources were spread very thin. And I think that's something um, that we're going to see more and more of in the future, which means that fire departments are going to be working, I think, with less resources. And then you add COVID-19 to it as well, and then there's going to be a question of, well, uh, you know, now I think if you've got your own fire department, uh, you know, and those guys are traveling down together, theoretically they've been living in the same firehouse together. So, you know, theoretically I think it would be safe as long as they're, they're fighting, you know, they're like, it's like they're, they're fighting it as one unit. They're not kind of combining with other units. Um, I think that would be okay. And, of course, when you're fighting a fire, you're outside for the most part. Um, you know, usually when a fire, when a house catches fire in a wildfire, very rarely do firefighters go inside the building. The, I, really, the only time they would go inside the building would be if they had to rescue people. Um, you know, once a, a house catches, it's usually pr- it's usually too late. Um, so I, I, I think that it... it you know, it would be okay, but it's it's a, it's an unknown. It really is an unknown. Did you have a loss of life in the Malibu fire? Yes, we had. We lost a number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we and uh, two of the husband, uh, uh, you know, a, a man um, uh, whose wife was very kind and allowed me to interview her, um, despite losing her husband of over thirty years and her mother-in-law. Um, and her husband had basically tried to rescue his mother and get her out, and they uh, were burned alive in their car. Um, there was a, another doctor who was burned uh, in his home and died, and then there were a number of people that died right after the fire, um, some of whom were considered um, uh, fatalities of the fire, um, but most were not considered fatalities from the fire. I consider them to be fatalities from the fire, um, because, as we discussed earlier, there were a lot of people that were breathing incredibly toxic um, air, and a number of the people that passed after the fire were older people, and um, I think it's pretty obvious that they were, um, you know, they were compromised by uh, what they, um, you know, took in. Um, I can't tell you how many people told me their animals died after the fire. Um, one... Um, a neighbor had a donkey. The donkey was pregnant. The uh, the baby donkey was born stillborn after the fire. Um, so there were a lot of examples of you know human beings and animals being really uh, impacted by the toxic soot and ash that really um, 
that occurred not just during the fire, but for days and days and weeks and weeks afterwards, because you remember when these homes burned, they just sat there for quite a long time before um, the debris was removed, which was done by, you know, hazmat teams that came in, you know, completely covered head to toe with protective equipment, because again, you know, you know, there's every terrible, horrible, you know, um, you know, chemical um, in, in now this, you know, you know, burned debris um and so anytime the winds would pick up weeks after the fire all of this black soot and ash would be at your doorstep uh, on your windowsill it was really incredible the schools in malibu in malibu um, park we have an elementary school middle school and high school all on the same campus and in that uh, on that campus that was the neighborhood that was uh the most devastated by the fire so these kids now were going to school and my son would come back and he would talk about, you know, how every building had this, you know, black soot and ash everywhere. Um, and so these children were walking in it, they were touching it, they were playing in it, and they were breathing it. It's it's quite a process. That, I don't know if people realize what, what you have to go through um, when you've been in that fire, because even... A lot of people that uh, didn't lose their home still couldn't go home for quite a while. Yeah, and and you know we you know I'm living in I call it the wasteland of Malibu Park. And if you you know you your listeners go oh boy Malibu boy what a beautiful place oh incredible I'm telling you if you came to my street right now you would not say that. Now you might look out at the ocean and go oh, well that's beautiful. But boy this guy's neighborhood is a disaster zone, which is what it is. Um, we are a year and a half after the fire, and, and of all the homes that burned, only two have been rebuilt. Only two homes in a year and a half have been rebuilt. Wow. Um, and so I try to tell people, and I try to tell my neighbors, you know, um, you know, every once in a while we still have some neighbors that have all of this flammable landscaping, these eucalyptus trees and pine trees and palm trees, which are so flammable and really spread you know these trees catch, and then they are like um, Roman candles, and then you know you know superheated embers go flying, and again with these winds, these embers can travel. The deputy chief of the fire department told me a eucalyptus, an ember from a eucalyptus, can fly 25 miles. Mm. Just crazy. So, yeah. So, um, so you know that's just something I try to remind people is. Um, you know, you do not, you know, people go, oh, well, you have insurance. I, I'm, I'm, you do not want your home to burn down. Not only are you going to lose everything you ever had, every heirloom, you know, every piece of your, your, your kid's artwork, you know, anything and everything is gone. You know, these fires, when they burn, the only thing that remains is the chimney. Um, and then you're going to have a really long, difficult, and stressful process to rebuild. Um, so that's where the fire prevention and some of the things I talked about earlier are really important. Make sure your home has those ember-resistant vents. Don't have that flammable landscaping. Don't have things right up against your house that can burn. No wood products. Um, you know, all of those things can make a huge difference and save you and your neighbors a lot of pain and agony. Yeah, 15 years ago, my mother's uh, home burned down, and uh, she was most upset about the baby pictures that was the biggest thing to her it, all the rest of it she said could be damned but uh, those baby pictures uh, were gone forever yeah and and, and you know you, those are things you cannot get back you know i you know sometimes people say well it's just stuff 
it's just stuff. And I'm here to tell you it's not just stuff. You know, there was one gentleman whose home burned down. He was a filmmaker and a marine biologist, and he combined his two careers, and he did all of these films um, in the ocean, right, documentaries. And um, when his house burned, he lost all of that footage. And he was devastated. It was basically his life's work. Uh, he lost it all. Um, so um, I, I think the, the idea that, oh, it's just stuff, and you can rebuild, and you have insurance, it, I'm, I'm telling you that that is not that is as far from the truth as it could possibly be. Yeah, you you can never, you know, recover totally like that. It's it's pretty, uh, you know, all your clothes, everything burns, right? Everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, vehicles. You know, you you know your you know, I mean, you, you know, the still vehicles around here. That that you know, the shells. All that remains is the shell. The tire is burned. I mean, everything burns. Um, you know, and every once in a while, you'll go to a home and you'll find. You know, uh, one thing that survived, you know, one of the stories in the book was um, this family that lived up the street from me. They lost everything that they had. And what a lot of people did is they came back to their homes hoping and praying and searching for anything that survived. And the Red Cross left out sifters. So, you know, like the old, you know, miners, the gold miners in the 1800s, you know, and you would take your sifter into the river and you'd put some dirt in it and shake it to see if, you know, after everything went away, there was a little speck of gold. Well, people here in Malibu were using these same sifters to go through the remains of their house looking for anything that might have survived. And in this one story in the book, the only thing they found was that the... Um, grandmother who lived in the it was a multi-generational home and the grandmother that lived in the home she'd had a bank that had been given to her by her grandmother and the it was a cast iron bank and it had also survived the 1906 san francisco earthquake fire and that was the only thing that survived that cast iron piggy bank mm. so um now do you have a website or anything like that uh, or is there a place you suggest just people go sure well my website is is just my name it's robert com. so robert r-o-b-e-r-t k-e-r-b-e-c-k dot com robert com, and you can go to my website and and from my website um you know there's a button that takes you to um places where you can buy my book um there's also information about uh about the book and um I've been really um, honored that the book has won uh, two uh, book awards. Um, it won uh, the Silver Medal uh, for Creative Nonfiction from the Independent Publishers Award, which is a really prestigious award. And it also won Best Historical Nonfiction from Best of L.A. And it's currently uh, under consideration for Book of the Year by Forward Reviews. Um, so, um, you know, I've just been really... Um, you know, just blessed that the Malibu community has rallied around it. I've had all these wonderful celebrities come out to my events, and you can see their pictures on my website. Um, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond came to in a book event and signed a book, um, or I signed the book for him, and he <laughs> took a picture with, got, you know, we took pictures together. Sam Elliott. Uh, from the Big Lebowski came, Priscilla Presley came, um, activist Aaron Brockovich came, Mayor uh, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, um, Martin Sheen uh, sent me uh, two handwritten notes, um, 
and actually offered to do an event where he was going to read a chapter from the book. Unfortunately, the event got canceled because of COVID-19, but it was really incredibly generous of him. Um, you know, uh, celebrities have done a lot of posting on social media about the book, which has been, you know, amazing. Um, and you can see a lot of that stuff on my website. And there's also a really amazing video of my wife fighting the fire uh, right as it kind of hit us, which I think kind of shows <laughs> how, how intense it was. Oh, it's amazing. Well, uh, this has been very interesting. The work is uh, very important, and people need to uh, realize um, what kind of threat we have going on here. So, um, um, again, our guest has been uh, Robert Kerbeck, and uh, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you giving me the time because, like you said, this is really important. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www houseofmystery.com show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me yeah good night this has been a production of something weird media I'll be back